Welcome to EAU Podcast. In this second edition of Two Updates, Professor Nicholas Motet, Chair of the EAU Guidelines Panel for Prostate Cancer, discusses which are the most important changes and new recommendations in the new EAU Guidelines for Prostate Cancer for 2022 relating to treatment approaches. Regarding active treatment, probably uh, in surgery, one of the important message is that, as you are aware, there is a wretched sparing approach that has gained uh, attraction to, uh, based on several papers and also based on the Cochrane systematic review. It has been suggested that with this approach, the wretched sparing approach, you might get an earlier continence and a better continence during the first few months, even if at 12 months, there don't seem to be any difference comparing the standard anterior approach and this approach posteriorly. The Cochrane Systematic Review had a low certainty regarding this benefit. But there's a drawback. The major drawback is that there seems also to be an increased risk of positive margins with this approach. Again, with a low certainty, and uh, there's no high-level evidence for that. So the pros and cons are there, and we were unable to suggest that any approach, any surgical approach, anterior or retrosparing, might be preferred. Furthermore, the retrosparing approach seems to be more challenging. So it's up to every surgeon to make his own mind. But remember, if you increase the risk of positive margins, you might also decrease the efficacy on the long-term run. Active surveillance is clearly a hot topic. It remains a hot topic. Regarding low risk, we clearly position the guidelines to suggest that active surveillance should be a standard of care for all low-risk patients. That's not new. What is new is that we elaborate a little bit on how to evaluate and what to do for the patients initially. And clearly, we advise to use an MRI. That's, again, not new. But if MRI is not done, a confirmatory biopsy should be performed. But it's a weak recommendation. It's a strong recommendation. On the other side, if an MRI was already done initially for the first biopsy, then probably the confirmatory biopsy are not needed. That's a weak recommendation. The follow-up strategy, and it's a strong, it's a weak recommendation again, is based on repeated DRA, repeated PSA, and repeated biopsy. How often are they to be done? Well, between two, every two to three years for the repeated biopsies, and almost the vast majority of the protocols that have been published in active surveillance from repeated biopsy. We do not believe yet that purely relying on MRI is enough. And we highlight the fact, and it's a strong recommendation, that in case of a PSA progression of DRA change or MRI change, if you follow with MRI, you should not jump on active therapy, but you must go for repeated biopsy, or there might be 
discrepancies between this progression and the real progression on histology. The final point regarding low-risk disease is that any form of active therapy should be only considered as an option and standard of care should be active surveillance. Also regarding active surveillance in intermediate risk, it seems to be a very acceptable option and we clarified the inclusion criteria for active surveillance in intermediate risk disease. It's either one single intermediate risk factor, that is a PSA between 10 to 20, or a clinical T2B, but it might also be a small amount on ESOP grade group two that was already presented last year, but the other two parameters are completely new. We just wanted to clarify. The second important message, and it's again a weak recommendation, is that if you do not have, uh, if you not, do not have MRI target biopsy doing follow-up and you just do systematic biopsies, and if initially you add an intermediate risk, you should reclassify this, this man if he has during the follow-up more than three positive cores or more than 50% of a core involvement in the intermediate risk. We still believe that ASAP grade group three should not be included in active surveillance as again, crib reform of or introductal should not be included in the active surveillance strategy. A point regarding the intermediate risk is that some some guidelines suggested to stratify low intermediate and high intermediate risk, like the NCCN, and throughout the text you will find some various definition of this low or intermediate, high or, in, uh, or low intermediate risk disease, and especially with radiotherapy. We were unable to find a very clear definition, and so we cannot suggest strongly a different treatment strategy for the intermediate risk when they belong to the low intermediate or the high intermediate. The evidence is still missing. There's a tendency to suggest that if you have a low volume of, of, of positive biopsies, or if you don't have any ISIP3, you belong to the low risk. But it's not supported by strong evidence for that. Regarding locally advanced disease, there is a, a new thing that is included with more details compared to 2021. It is the fact that external beam radiotherapy combined with BRACI, either low dose or high dose BRACI, might be an option compared to external beam only, always combined with ADT long term. But the most important change we made in the guidelines, and probably that one of the most important changes we have made in the 2022 guidelines, is coming from a paper presented again by Stampedi regarding very high-risk locally advanced disease, showing that the addition of two years of ABI on top of three years of ADT and prostate radiotherapy 
is absolutely beneficial. This should be standard of care for a very selected group of patients that are patients with either CN1 on imaging before treatment decision, CN1 based on, on CT or MRI, or patients with at least two out of three high-risk features that are clinical T3 or T4, is a grade group four or above, or PSA equal or above 40. If you have two out of these three criteria, or if you have CN1, and if you go for radiotherapy, plus three years of ADT, the addition of two concomitant years of ABI is leading to an improved MET-free survival, but even better, an increased overall survival. And now we consider that attitude as a standard of care for those men, and we have a strong recommendation here. Probably one of the most important points we have. We modified a little bit, we characterized a little bit better the, uh, the position of the adjuvant therapy and especially the adjuvant radiotherapy. As you know, three randomized controlled trials have been published recently. Two of them are early closed. The third one is fully completed. They were summarized in the formal systematic reviews, um, which is called autistics. And it was said that adjuvant radiotherapy is said, well, that's not exactly what we suggest. And for us, there is a strong recommendation to still consider to offer adjuvant radiotherapy for those men who have high-risk features, that is, ISIP grade group four or five, or PT3 with or without positive margin. This difference with some other guidelines is based on the fact that in almost the three trials, there were very, very few, very high-risk patients included. And we have a very large database cohort clearly suggesting that for these, those very high-risk features patients, adjuvant radiotherapy seems to be beneficial. It's not randomized but the evidence we have based on the randomization is very weak because very few patients with these high-risk features were included. Regarding salvage radiotherapy, we emphasize again two things. The first one is that after radical pesitectomy, there's no PSA threshold that define a relapse. The 0.4 nanograms per ml is the threshold that predicts, best predicts long-term metastasis, but it's not the definition of PSA relapse. At the same time, we suggest strongly that if a salvage is needed, it should be done as early as possible. And finally, we strongly suggest that if you go for a PET PSMA for, salve, for a relapsing PSA after surgery, you should not wait to a positive imaging before treating. What does it mean in practice? If the PSA is rising after a radical and you believe that a salvage therapy is needed, don't wait for a positive PET 
to salvage. If the positive is negative, and if the patient belongs to the high-risk relapsing category of EAU, salvage immediately, even if the PET-PSMA is negative. Also regarding this, this PSA relapse, we strongly, repeatedly suggest that you should base your decision on the risk category as were defined by EAU that, has, that have been externally validated. It's a weak recommendation after surgery. It's a weak recommendation after radiotherapy. But in both, time, in both groups, we strongly suggest that if you belong to the low-risk EAU category, probably a monitoring strategy is the best option, while an active therapy is the best option if you belong to the high risk. Regarding salvage after radiotherapy, we do not take any position about the best approach, but our main message is that any form of salvage should be done in experienced centers because of the toxicity, that's the first point. And the second point, that's not you, but we want to reinforce it, is the fact that anyone you consider a salvage therapy after radiotherapy, you must first fully confirm by biopsy that in fact, there's still prostate cancer cells in the prostate. Regarding the change we made in the metastatic androgen sensitive, to be honest, we haven't changed that much, except that uh, the triplet came because they were presented in meetings, but not fully published yet when the text was finalized. And we were we are absolutely unclear about the real benefit and the real position of the triplet. The, our main message is that ADT monotherapy should no longer be used except in very exceptional situations. I want to reinforce this message because in practice it seems that any form of combination therapy is clearly underused and that's a worldwide finding. It might be either radi prostate radiotherapy if you belong to the low volume, Charted definition or ADT plus ABI or ADT plus ENSA or ADT plus APA or ADT plus Docetaxel. They are all positive, but ADT alone should no longer be the case and it should be discussed whatever the presentation of the M1 disease is, whatever the volume and whatever it is, a newly diagnosed or a patient that relapsed after a local therapy, that it has to be discussed. Uh, they, uh, the, the only point that is new that is repeatedly said as experimental, and it's a strong recommendation, is the metastasis-directed therapy. We do believe that it's purely experimental and that it should not be done outside trials or well-designed prospective cohorts. So you, you see there was not a lot of changes in the metastatic androgen sensitivity. For the non-metastatic CRPC, almost no change yet, but for the metastatic CRPC, 
we have two very important points plus a third one. The first very important message is about sequencing. We reinforce the message that you should not go from one author to another author. Clearly, they're, 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 the outcome is not as expected, and clearly, it's not the way to go, except if you have no other choice. But clearly, the sequencing is discussed in detail with evidence for that. The major change we have is with theragnostic using PSMA-based PSMA radioligands with lutetium. This is a major change we have there with two trials, always after one author and one taxanes, at least. We have a very large randomized phase three trial, and we have a randomized phase two trial that is not that large. Let me start with the second one, the Therap trial. It's a randomized control trial comparing lutetium PSMA versus CABA in patients that are suitable for CABA. It was shown that the PSA response rates were much better with lutetium compared to CABA. The toxicity was much better with lutetium compared to CABA, but at its only a phase two trial with no overall survival results so far, we cannot say it should be standard of care, but at least it suggests that lutetium that way might play a major role. The most important trial is a vision trial with a very large randomized, randomized phase three comparing lutetium plus standard of care versus standard of care in patients that received already one ARTA and one at least one taxane regimen. I want to highlight the fact that the inclusion criteria for the two trials are a little bit different. I will only focus on the vision trial where the inclusion criteria were patients who had at least one positive PET-PSMA metastatic lesion, uh, where the uptake was higher compared to the liver parenchyma, and where no metastasis were PSMA negative no PET-PSMA negative metastasis. These were the two main inclusion criteria for vision with only a PET-PSMA imaging initially. And for us, it's a strong recommendation to consider lutetium if available in pretreated MCRPC patients who had one line of ARTA plus one line of taxanes, provided they fulfill the vision criteria. That is, PET-PSMA higher uptake compared to the liver with no PET-PSMA negative metastasis. And the final point for MCRPC is that for the first time, we consider that platinum-based therapy might be a very valid option, and especially in a subgroup patient who have DDR or who have aggressive molecular signature with P53, RB1, and P10, where it has been suggested that those men have a very poor prognostic, and it seems that the platinum compound might be useful in this situation. So these are the summary points for the 2022 guidelines, but it's a very short summary
out of the more than 200 pages of text. So I wish you a good reading and I'm happy to have any comments you might consider. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Professor Dr. Motet for this episode of EAU Podcast on Prostate Cancer. For further information on the EAU guidelines on prostate cancer, please visit our website, www.euroweb.org forward slash guidelines. Further podcasts will be posted regularly on EAU guidelines topics. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe to our EAU podcast channel for regular updates.